you again for your wonderful word. Word have we hid in our hearts that we might not sin against you. And we ask, Lord, that you take the word now and teach it to us, instruct us. May it whet our appetite with a greater way as we look forward to the coming of the Lord Jesus. We pray, uh, as we've been taught, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus, come. We know that there'll be a generation of believers in the earth. When you come, come for us, your bride, the church, and take us with you. We pray for that. Open the word now. Cause us to be ready. Uh, May we deal with sin that prevents that daily. That's our battle, even as believers. And for those who do not know you, Lord, may they become ready to become born again, a Christian, Lord. And so we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Please take your uh, Bible and turn to uh, Dr. Luke's Gospel, and we're looking at uh, chapter 21, and that is the section uh, affectionately known as the Olivet Discourse. You should have your uh, sermon outline uh, in front of you, and uh, The King is Coming is the title of my message, Jesus is Coming Again. That's a great old hymn, used to be in the hymn books, and I can shut my eyes and and remember hearing it as a young kid being sung in the different melodies in our church and the ladies and the men, Jesus is coming again, Jesus is coming again. Maybe morning, maybe noon, maybe evening, but, and we change it, and surely soon, Jesus is coming again. It's a a song and a melody that uh, is in my heart and often on my lips as I sing it, as I look for the Lord's return. And I hope that uh, that's in your heart. Uh, looking up, your redemption draws nigh. And that's, uh, that's King Jim, but draws near. And uh, as we look for the coming of the King. And uh, let me introduce the, uh, the, the whole sermon thought by saying one of the great moments in American history was when General Douglas MacArthur, uh, while evacuating from the Philippines on March the 12th, 1942, he promised, I shall return. Many Americans, at least in the older generation, were taught that in school. My father was a military school graduate. He thought the world of General Douglas MacArthur and and didn't have too much good to say about Truman, President Truman, but uh, uh, thought that he was a man's man and a general beyond distinction and a terrific leader of men in the face of battle. And uh, when uh, f- our president at that time, FDR, ordered him to abandon his post in Manila, which was a hard thing for MacArthur to choke down, uh, uh, he, much to his dismay, he made the trek to Australia. Well, on March the 12th, he announced, I shall return. And it took nearly two years to make good on his promise, I have it on your sheet there, but he brought the army back, and even before he drove the enemy out, he announced, I have returned. And uh, the only general close to that was that that stomping Norman Schwarzkopf, was it, in the desert? (laughs) You got to love a guy like that. We're going to just stomp all over the enemy, you know? You don't want some mamby-pamby leading the troops, right? Man's man, like your dad, Brennan, your dad with Master Sergeant, you know, those are the guys that they run the thing. They're the field generals, really. <laughs> yes, Master Sergeant. Well, uh, in a matter of infinitely greater importance than General Douglas MacArthur is, uh, is the fact that Jesus told his disciples similar words, that he is coming again. Now, if he is wrong... Or if he made a mistake, oh, uh, you know, uh, let's do a redo. Or he came in some sort of weird way. There are, other, there are some strange thoughts about that, you know, that float around. Like, oh, he came, didn't you see him? He came spiritually or metaphysically or somehow, you know, let's change the... De- then I, I really say just throw your Bible away if, it, if it's not true. Not worth it. Keep your money. Don't come here. Just, you know, eat, drink, and be married. Tomorrow you'll be dead. You know, there's no hope. The book, the blood, the blessed hope. There's no hope at all. But there is hope, and it is the blessed hope. 
and he told the Lord he's going to return. And the good news, right? He's not coming like the first time. A helpless little babe that hardly anyone noticed, you know, and so on. He's coming as the conquering king. The king of kings and the Lord of lords. And he's coming just as he said. I shall return. We talked last week about the beginning of the Olivet Discourse. They were, they were fascinated with Herod's temple and how glorious it was, the gold and the white marble and the shine of the sun on it. And they go like, oh, isn't this incredible? And uh, Herod had been building it for like 50 years at that point. We know that from John because the Lord said, destroy this temple. Three days I'll raise it. And they said, you're, you're not even 50 years old. You know, and how is it that, you know, they're still building the town? They would go on to build that for about 70 years. It would be done for maybe five or six years, and then the general Titus from Rome would come in and destroy it completely. So Jesus, 40 years earlier, announced in the beginning of the Olivet Discourse, not one stone will be left upon another. And so we said the best way to think about uh, biblical prophecy is to use bifocals. I pointed out my new ones there, the, the near and the far. That's the right way. Think, I hope you never get that out of your mind because there's usually a near fulfillment in the near future and then there's looks way off into the distance to see the ultimate and final fulfillment of that prophecy. That's what's going on here. The Lord uses Jerusalem's soon destruction. It's, uh, it is likened to the Son of Man's return. Both periods are difficult times of judgment for the earth. And when you put on your bifocals, you see 40 years out, and then you see the end of time. I believe in a premillennial, pre-tribulational rapture where the return of the Lord Jesus comes. He comes for his church. The church is distinct from the nation Israel. And then God will deal that last seven years with, with Israel and call them to, to many of them the saving faith. And the book of Revelation, I think, accounts for that. We'll look at that sometime. And then he will come back and, and to the very earth, and his feet will land at the very place that they left, at the Mount of Olives, right where he's teaching this. On the Mount of Olives, his feet will land, according to the prophet Zechariah. I shall return. And so Jesus looks through the corridor of time to history's end, looking at the upper part of the bifocals, and he sees this glorious day. You know, today, we are the in-betweeners. Did you know that? You're a tweener. You know, I have all these different words for the different generations, right? You know, the millennials and all this. And, and uh, you're a tweener. You're a in-between. The Lord came once. He's coming again. And we're in-between. We're part of this mysterious, this church. No Jew, no Gentile. God is assembling. He's calling out a people. If you know him by faith, it's not because you're smarter, luckier, or good fortune and all that, that God has called you out. By saving faith and redeemed you. Uh, faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. It's the spirit of God that opens your heart. You say, I once was blind, but now I see. That's the work of the spirit of God in regenerating dead hearts of souls of men and women. So our text, the, the, the closing verses, looking at the final judgment when God dealing uh, with the earth uh, before the coming of the Lord Jesus we notice in verses 25 to 36, three observations from Jesus' own words urging us, even this day, to live in a perpetual watch, watchfulness waiting for his return. Three observations. Verse 25. Let's look at through 28. And Jesus says, now looking down in the future, there will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars. And on the earth, much distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. Now, folks, I, I, I just let me stop here. It's like reading today's newspaper. I, I, I just, this, this just feels like it. The, the nations are in a calamitous, uh, uh, foreboding fear. What is coming? Something is ominous. And there are no answers. And they, they've sensed this. I mean, there's not an optimism in the world scene today. And they lived happily ever after. How often do you hear that anymore? You don't hear that. It's like, oh, no, what's going to happen next? You know, airplane crashes in San Francisco. 
you know, I don't know what happened there. They're like, oh, no, Egypt's falling apart. And what about Nigeria? They're killing the Christians. And what about, and it's over in North Korea. And what about Iran? It just feels like it's crazy. And Greece is going under. And what about the UK? And what are you like? You get the soul sense. And they're riding down to Rio de Janeiro. And they're, and they're raping women in the streets in the Cairo Square. And it's just like, the world is coming apart by the seams. And we're, we... I mean, here we are 20 centuries after the, uh, the appearance of the Lord Jesus and his ministry, his death and resurrection. Here we are, part of the church, and uh, we have the privilege now of standing here watching these things. And we, we you know, in the digital age and, and communications, uh, CNN and Fox TV and, and our, you know, if you're on the Internet and your phone and a lot of you have smartphones and instantly something happens, Boom, there it is. You got it, you got it. You know, it's just like unbelievable, the, the rapidity of information, the advancement of knowledge, the speed of travel, all these things. Daniel 12, what happened at the last day. I don't know if it's going to be in my lifetime. David asked me that. You know, I said, if it's not in my lifetime, the Lord said, I've I got to believe it's going to be in your lifetime. You know, how much more can this be moving toward this climax where the world is just like this? I mean, am I the only one that senses that? Amen? Do you, do you sense that? I, I sense it everywhere and, and so on. Well, we're the tweeners, and so let's look at three observations in verse 25. Wait, I stopped in the middle. Uh, let's read that again. Pick up verse 26. People fainting with fear and with foreboding at what is coming on the world. See, it's more than just Israel here. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And here's the verse. These are the Lord's own words, verse 27. And then they, the world, will see his, own, his favorite title for himself, the Son of Man, comes right out of Daniel 7, the Son of Man, that's Jesus, coming in a cloud with power, that, that's exousia, authority, the kingly power, and great glory. And when these things begin to take place, He's speaking to his disciples now, the believers. Straighten up, look up, raise up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. Well, the first observation, Jesus' words, Jesus tells of his glorious return to earth. He tells of, A, the cosmic signs that would precede and accompany his visible return. Not only do these shake the earth with earthquakes and tsunamis, but they shake the very heavens with unnatural signs and wonders. You can read a little bit about that even more in Revelation uh, chapter 19, uh, verse 1, actually tells uh, in the book of Revelation of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. The, it, is the, it is the one thing when he actually comes and lands on the earth puts his feet on the Mount of Olives, that all earth history is looking for. It's what the disciples were looking for. Uh, and we see it in Acts 1. He said, Lord, uh, now is the time you're going to establish your kingdom? I mean, this is what he taught us to pray. Uh, teach us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Here it is. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is and has always been in the Yashim, in the heavens. I mean, that's the kingdom. Now, we, we share in that as believers in the, a spiritual sense of the kingdom. There's a, there's a sense of the spiritual kingdom now uh, that our hearts are regenerated. He's given us new hearts that love the Lord. But it isn't the full manifestation of the kingdom. It is the kingdom yet to be when, the, when it will finally be and they lived happily ever after. The words of the prophet will be fulfilled and there will be a period of glorious millennial reign on earth. Uh, the reverse of the curse and no more groaning. And I see it uh, as a glorious thing. Now there, uh, there are some uh, that uh, say, well wait a minute, there won't be a a glorious earthly thousand-year reign, and uh, it just simply goes into the eternal state. There, that's the amillennial position, no millennial, no thousand-year reign. Uh, let me say to you, these are family discussions. These are not things to divide over. That's craziness. You, you know what I'm saying? If I, if I didn't hold this, the hermeneutic that I do, that Revelation 25 times the thousand-year reign, the thousand-year reign, the thousand-year reign, I could easily be swept more into a Calvin viewpoint 
where there's no rain. And it's just when the Lord comes, there's a judgment, and there's just the eternal state forever. But I struggle a little bit with the prophets. The prophets talk about the millennial glorious day, Ezekiel 40 to 48. And there, Zechariah 14 talks about a unique day, a glorious day of the earth. And then as you walk through, so I, I, in my heart of heart, I, I, I'm just looking forward to that great climax of earth history. Now, these are family discussions. You know, I, we should never divide over such things as that. And I see a distinction between Israel and the church. And so I handle that a little bit differently. I don't see one great general judgment of all people at the end of time. I see that there is, that is those uh, who are not written in the, name, in the book of life. But I see the judgment seat of Christ and the great white throne judgment as two distinctly different judgments. One is to be cast in the lake of fire. Well, Jesus tells of this glorious return. The Old Testament, I gave you just a little sampling there of the prophets and Joel. They actually thought that's what was happening uh, on the day of Pentecost when they heard everyone speaking in their own tongue and, they, and, uh, and, and quoted even this passage in the, in the minor prophet Joel, chapter 2, verse 30 and 31. Uh, let me just read that to you, verse 30. And I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke, and the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood. Doesn't mean, I, I think it's phenomenological language that it will appear red, the haze in the atmosphere. You're like, oh, the moon looks reddish. And the, the sun will be darkened out somehow because of the stuff in the atmosphere. So he's using language of phenomena. We use that every day in our scientific uh, age in which we live in, don't we? Uh, you think I'm kidding? A meteorologist, right, every day will say, and the sun rise tomorrow at 520, and the sun will set. Well, come on, are you stupid? You're a scientist. Why do you talk that way? The sun doesn't rise, the sun doesn't set. But we use language of appearance, language of phenomena as, as we see it and we describe it. And we all go like, yeah, we understand what that means. That's what the scriptures are talking. And I think that's what he's talking about here. Zechariah 14. You should, you should know Zechariah 14. Do you know where that's found in the Bible? Zechariah 14, second last book in the Old Testament. But Zechariah promises this unique day. Verse uh, 1 of chapter 14, Zechariah writes, Behold, a day is coming for the Lord when the spoil taken from you will be divided in your midst. For he says, I will gather all the nations against Israel to do battle, and the city shall be taken, the houses plundered, the women raped. Half of the city shall go into exile, but the rest of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations, and when he fights on a day, uh, as he fights on the day of battle, and on that day, he's looking at the end of the 70th week of Daniel, there when the nations surround uh, Jerusalem, which I would see during the tribulation period, the very end, and then verse 4, and on that day, his feet, that's Jesus' feet, shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two, east and west. He talks about that, an earthquake, and, there, and then in verse 6, And on that day there shall be no light, cold, or frost, and there sh this shall be a unique day, which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night, but at evening time there shall be light. And it goes, verse 9, <clears throat> And the Lord will be king over all the earth. On that day, the Lord, the Lord will be one, and his name will be one. I'm here to say none of that came about yet. So like, well, did that happen already? No, it did not happen yet. And you go like, so I'm not a preterist. I'm not like, okay, that's all stuff in the past tense using, you know, hyperbolic language, exaggeration. Never happened yet. And I look for the literal fulfillment of these utterances all the way through the prophets. And so that's why I'm pre-millennial, and I see a distinction between Israel and the church. Though we're all saved by blood, it's the blood of Jesus, and God will one day deal with national Israel, uh, who uh, really are the bones now. There's no life, spiritual life. There are, there are remnant that are saved, uh, particularly Romans 11. When you look at that, they're going to be regrafted in. I mean, they are the part. They were pulled out, the Gentiles, and God is going to deal once again with a nation, Israel, during the very final 
days on earth. Well, B, there's going to, well, you can look at Daniel 7. There it is. With the clouds of heaven, the king, the son of man. I mean, it is, he is coming with splendor. You know, sometimes the fireworks. Don't you love to see the fireworks? And uh, we, we, didn't, we didn't see them this year. Too many of them. But I've seen some great displays. We were somewhere at one point up in New England, and the thing went on for an hour and 15 minutes. I kept getting up with my blanket thinking it was over. And it went on and on. We're like, oh, it's beautiful. You know, like this. We go, wow, what splendor, what glory, what beauty. What could, you know, how do they top with a grand finale and all that? That ain't nothing, with apologies to my English teacher, that anything is going to be like when the Lord comes. The sky is going to be lit up with brilliance. He who made the sun and the stars and, and the light, who is the light, he will come with a glorious radiance. The Son of Man with power. That's Daniel 7. Glory. It's never happened yet. Dazzling. You ain't seen nothing yet until Jesus comes. Well, uh, verse 26, uh, Jesus says there's going to be great fear, a feeling of total helplessness, and a mood of doom among men, people fainting with fear at what they fear is coming. Well, Jesus described his own advent. Then, then, sequential, it's temporal. Then they'll see the Son of Man coming. That's his own title. If you look through the gospel, that's, he uses the word Son of Man to refer to himself more than anything else. He's the Son of God, he's Jesus, he's Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ Lord. But his, when he refers to himself, the Son of Man. Now, that may not mean much. You go, well, what does that mean? That's kind of, is he, why is he talking like that? Every Jew knew what that was. They, they went right back to Daniel 7. That was the promised Messiah coming gloriously. And that's who he claimed to be. So every Jew would go like, oh, they, they'd hear that. And that meant the promised one, the seed of the woman from Genesis 3, uh, the da greater than David, the Abraham's seed, the glorious one, the son of man. Wow, wow, wow. And all the world is going to see. I don't know how that can happen. I know it's possible now. Some of the old preachers of a previous day, when they started seeing in 1980 when CNN came on, and they're like, oh, look at that, 24-hour news. We can watch what's happening over there in a matter of minutes. And they go like, oh, I think I know how it's going to happen. Maybe it's going to be TV camera around the world instantly. Here comes the Lord of glory, and it's on every screen. I don't know if it's that, or it's going to be far greater than that. I think it probably, but now you can see the, the possibility of that. I mean, they're for centuries, people go like, well, how, how is the whole world going to see? I mean, when he comes, he's in one body. He's going to come down. How, well, how, how? That's, and we go like, whoa, I think we could, through technology, oh, well, and it's, I think it's going to be far greater than that. I don't know how. It, maybe it's going to be reflective somehow, diffused, and all around the world going to look up. And we're, oh, look at that. Oh, and the Lord comes, and we with him. And there are places in the text that demonstrate that. Notice he never did answer their question. You notice that? The, when will be the sign of your coming in the beginning? He never answered that. Remember we said that? You go on a trip and your kids are always saying, you just get started. Are we almost there? Are we almost? Oh, if he asked me that again, I'm going to go crazy. You know, we just started. This is like a thousand-mile trip. Are we at that? Are we almost there? You know, he never answers the when. And, you know, the reason for that is, is I, I think, and, and, and the writers agree with that, is that we're to be in a constant state of expectation. We're to be constantly looking and waiting. When you rise this morning and go, Lord, is this the day of your return? We're looking for you, you know. If I knew it was next Thursday, I could get sloppy. You know, like, oh, the Lord's coming next Thursday. Eh, just get a little careless, right? Isn't that our tendency that just prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave? I, we just sort of like, hey, suppose you get back. Well, he doesn't come for two weeks. Right? He told us, no, every day we'd have a sense of readiness. One of the, uh, the great things we did as a men's outing when, uh, when I had the joy of pastoring in Indiana was uh, one of our men was an Air Force uh, major graduate, uh, Air, Air, and he was a pilot. He flew the Warthogs. And uh, we were about 80, 90 miles from Grissom Air Force Base down north of Indianapolis, and he got permission for our men to go down to the base and spend the day, and we had breakfast down there, and then we actually sat in, that was a, th a great thrill, to sit in a warthog, uh, uh, one of the uh, A-10, A-10? 
Yeah, eight ten. Yeah, actually sit there, and uh, he was he was a big shot down there. Phil Matier, a blessed guy, it was wonderfully saved at the academy, and was involved with navigators, and it was really a big help to me. And uh, and each guy walked up there, sat in there. He said, "Don't ask me anything. I could tell you, but I, really, I kill you. I can't tell you. <laughs> Literally, I can't tell you what anything is." And we sat in the cockpit and all that. But while we were there, he pointed out, "You see that over there? They had these big." Uh, B-52s and all this kind of thing. He said that was part of the Strategic Air Command. And he went on to tell us that uh, since the Cold War, uh, they were on a constant state of readiness. They were always ready. They, they were, some of them were always in the air. And I don't remember what branch of that strategic air, but they were always ready to go and they were always uh, up there and, and for the, the threat of atomic nuclear war with the uh, Soviet Union and the like and all that. Constantly ready. And it went on for years and decades, decades. Some of you remember that. Some of you know far more about it than I do. But readiness, always ready. I go like, that's exactly why the Lord didn't say, hey, you know, next Thursday, right, circle your calendar. I'm coming back on that day. You know, like, <laughs> no, it could be today. It could be today. And then, and then the old evangelist would say, uh, you know, if you, if you knew the Lord was coming back today, what would you change in your life? Did you ever hear that? He, he would ask that. What would you change in your life? <laughs> he goes, or no, he, he put it, if you knew the Lord was coming next through, what would you change in your life? And you're like, oh, I think, oh, Lord, by the gospel and the power of the God, oh, I'd put this out and that, and I'd, I'm do, I should be doing something I'm not doing. And then he'd come back and say, you don't know it's next Thursday. could be today. Readiness, readiness, readiness. That's the call for a Christian, to be ready, looking up, looking for the blessed hope and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's, uh, it's glorious when you think about it. Uh, when, look at the C in 20. Jesus describes his own event. Then they will see the Son. He's either right or wrong or out of his mind. You only have three logical things. He's right. He'll return just as he departed from the Mount of Olives, riding the, the clouds of glory. It's a picture of unbelievable splendor. I mean, the, the Magi had to go to Herod and ask, where, where was he born, this, this, this king? Won't have to do that when he comes. To, where is he? No, everyone will know. Wow, glory. That's uh, what he's talking about here. And, uh, and so on. So what's he say to us three? Lift up your heads, your redemption draws near. This is the gross contrast to those who are fearful and foreboding and, oh, it's getting worse, it's terrible, the whole thing's coming apart. You know, there are two companies of people in the world. You know, there are those that are headed to the heavenly city, Jerusalem, because of the shed blood of Jesus on the cross. Ones that God has called out, that's you if you know Jesus as your Savior. And then there's the great horde of people who will not have him be their Lord and Savior. And that's the contrast. you got the fear foreboding that's pervasive in a crowd of people. And then you have others that are enduring, waiting, looking. And now he says, look up. It's when your head is down, you're defeated, you know. You see that? You, you're defeated. You, you saw that teaching. Uh, a kid would not do well on something, he'd be struggling, he's down, downcast in his continence, you know, and you, you can read that, you can read people. We send these nonverbals out all the time, body language and that. But look up, that's the sign of the victor, your redemption. I don't think it's the narrow sense they've been purchased with the price, though it's true that we'll enter into glorification of the body and our final salvation. I think it's more general in its focus, meaning your deliverance, the final deliverance of the earth and the world and all everything we've been waiting for is coming about. I'm telling you, you're talking about exciting days. I mean, they are going to be the days of all days. Wow, what a time. Well, Jesus tells of his glorious return. Second observation we see in verses uh, 29 to 33. Jesus' words are more certain than the universe. He is not, and I remind you that he is not only the fourth teller. This is predictive. He's looking into the future. But the Father and the Spirit 
with the Lord Jesus, the blessed Trinity, they are the, the, the disposers of all things. In him, through him, and to him are all things. He's not just predicting, you know, but he's the one who will actually bring it all about. That makes a whole difference on prediction, right? That's a huge difference. He's the active agent that will bring about according to his plan. I say to you, Jesus' words are more certain than the entire universe. Look at in verse 29 of this uh, text. And he told them the parable. Look at the fig tree and all the other trees. Here's the principle. As soon as they come out in leaf in the spring of the year, and you see for yourselves, you see that, you know that summer is already near. It's imminent. So also, when you see these things, these things in the heavens and on earth, the phenomena, the shaking of everything, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. He's going to underscore it now. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Jesus tells the parable of the fig tree. His point is, just as you see the buds in the spring, and that's a great time when it finally breaks. I remember being up in Alaska one time, and they call it the breaking when finally the winter is over and it starts, the ice cracks, the water drains away, and the buds, and, the, and they get very excited up there. If you had darkness for six months, you get excited too to see some elements of spring. What it's saying there in Israel, the fig tree and the other trees, the fig tree loses all its leaves in the winter. And then when it buds forth, uh, you know summer is coming. Yay, summer is coming. He uses that analogy that they all knew that, that. So when you see that, you know when you see all these things, they're like the bud. Jesus is coming. The end is coming about, and it's coming. It's certain. It's sure, and it's quickly coming. Actually, B tells this generation that sees these signs in the calamitous final days of the earth will also be the ones who will witness the coming of the king. No delay. No delay. I mean, we are in the delay period, right? We're the in-betweeners, the tweeners. Lord, when? When? I, I mean, I believe Paul was looking for the Lord in his day. We see that in, in 1 Thessalonians 4. Uh, he includes himself, we who are, and he's looking for the return of the Lord. Uh, and uh, it's been the hope of the church all the years. When? When? It seems like a long delay. We read that in Second Peter, a thousand years with the Lord is like a day. In other words, when you're eternal, what's a thousand years? I mean, we, we kind of plug into that when we sing that great song, right, about heaven. And when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, with no less days to sing God's praise, now, when we first begun, why? Well, what is it when it's it, when it, the calendar? It's meaningless. A thousand years in a day, you know? I mean, it's, and so we're in this period of time. We go like, oh, Lord, how long, how long? But he's saying it's not going to be like this when it comes to those final days. When that happens, get ready. That's the generation. It's over. I mean, just like summer's coming, it's happening, and I'm coming, and that's the way it is. Wow, it will end quickly. The kingdom of God is coming. Now, to underscore the certainty of his words, he adds that his words would endure forever. Uh, the, uh, heaven and earth, that's what he means by that. Uh, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Um, so he's telling us here that creation is less permanent than the truth of his teaching. And it sounds an awful lot like Isaiah 40, verse 8, or how about Isaiah 55? Don't you love that? Keep your finger in Luke, but look at Isaiah 55, verses 10 and 11. A lot of you have referred to this uh, a lot and maybe don't remember where it comes from, but it's, it's the Word of God, and it always accomplishes His purpose, and God never changes His mind. He never says, I didn't know. And the end and the beginning is in his plan, but in Isaiah 55, 10 and 11, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, 
making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, that's void in the King James, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. I mean, there are numerous verses that, uh, that teach us of that. And, uh, and so on. So the Lord is saying, look, underline it, underscore it, not one jot, not one tittle. Jesus is telling us that the end will come just as I described. You know, we, we love, don't you love, our kids love the, that musical, and then a little Annie, Annie sings, and the sun will come up tomorrow, bet your bottom dollar. You know, some of you could sing that, right? Please don't, not now. But you could sing that. But uh, Jesus sang, uh, you know what? We count on the sun going up and, and coming up and down in the language of appearance and all that kind of business. And, and we assume it. We write our calendars. And we plan out, right? And God said, seed time and harvest, and it will continue to the end, to the end. But there's coming a time, coming a time where that will all change. Uh, check Revelation 21. We don't have time to look at that. But the creation of new heavens and new earth and all that that means. And you know what? God's word is going to abide past that. So the sun will come up tomorrow. Yes, because God does that. But there's something that will abide past that. That is the blessed word of our Lord Jesus. He said you can count on it. Take it to the bank. No, don't do that. Some of the banks failed. I know that. But he said you can count on the word of Christ. Now Jesus' words here apply to everything he ever said. He gave us many warnings. They that don't have the Son do not have the life. Do not have life, but the wrath of God abides. The Lord gave many warnings. You know, wide and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many are on that path. Narrow is the way, and few be it that find the way to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He gave many warnings, many prophecies, promises, many prophecies. They that believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. All of these things. We live in a world that discounts the words of Jesus. And in fact, in the West, uh, we, this is about all we know as a culture, but increasingly, all we do in the West is ignore God. Have you ever thought about that? Just ignore Him. We're just ignoring the culture and the popular. How many, how, many, how many movies do you see that really honor God? And uh, the Christ is the center of the home or the family or life. I mean, there's some strange aberrations that try maybe a few good ones here and there, but most of it, God's absent. He's completely absent. Absent from, from public education, absent from the universities for the most part, absent from the theater and the arts and that, unless his name is used, the four-letter word, or this. He is the greatest subject in all the universe. In the West, we walk around in our arrogance and pride, just ignore God. I don't see God. Where's God? I don't care about God. It's all about me. That's the West. Well, God, he's not impressed on that. You can almost take Psalm 2 and say, uh, is God worried in the heaven? No, he shall laugh, and he's going to crush that. He is the most important subject in all the world, in all the universe. Now, in the Middle East, one thing I do love about going there and ministering there is people talk about God all the time. And uh, they have the wrong God, Allah, but they're interested in, in a casual conversation. You can talk to them. Because they're, they're, they're thinking about God, thinking about uh, eternity, thinking about now, thinking about sin, thinking about judgment. In the West, we just ignore that. And you correct me if I'm, I'm not right on that, but that's as I see it. Our world discounts the world, words of Jesus, right? Satan attacks it. Hath God really said, Genesis 3, his first attack. But the Bible stands. We should learn that ourselves. We teach that to our kids. The Bible stands, though the and you know that you know that even Voltaire, the the French critic, who lived in Geneva, Switzerland, he could not stop the eternal word of our God. Voltaire, in his humanistic arrogance, predicted that in 50 years no one would even remember the name of Jesus. Can you imagine that? What arrogance that is. Voltaire, most people forgot his name unless you're taking philosophy or some French reading or the Renaissance or something. Or actually, that's later, post-Renaissance. But uh, do you know what? I call it divine irony. Almost 50 years to the date when he said that in Geneva. Almost 50 years, the Geneva Bible Society bought his home. And almost 50 years to the date, they were printing Bibles in his home that included this verse. Now, isn't that amazing? Heaven and earth will pass away. 
but not my word, in Voltar's own home in Geneva. God, there's a God in heaven who, he, he laughs. He has, he has an ironic sense about him and, uh, and so on. So Jesus' words are more certain than the universe. Now tonight, when you look at the moon and the stars, hopefully like last night, it was so beautiful. I want you to think about that. The word of the Lord Jesus more certain than that moon and that star. Don't look at the sun. It'll hurt your eyes during the day. More certain than that sun. That's what Jesus is saying. It is the firm bedrock. The Bible stands. Praise God for that. The B-I-B-L-E. I'm convinced us big kids need to relearn the kids' songs and take them to heart. Number three and final, the third observation of Jesus. We're urging us to live in perpetual watchfulness, waiting for him. Jesus warns to be ready and not drift through life aimlessly. He's warning us now. He's warning. There are two main things that prevent people, believers, we're talking believers, unbelievers for sure, but believers too, from being prepared for his coming. And so we're to pray for strength and for watchfulness. And let's read the text. Look at 34, 5, and 6. But the Lord warns, but watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness, and the second, cares of this life, and that the day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the earth. Those are unbelievers of the whole earth. But rather, he says, stay awake at all times praying that you'll have strength to escape. All these things are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. That's in, that's in judgment, and that's with, by grace and by his approval. So he warns us. He closes this whole Olivet Discourse with a warning for you and for me. There are two temptations. Dissipation is the first. This is what we usually mean in our culture when we talk about a hangover or drunkenness. You know, some of us deal with the fears of the future, and it's getting larger and larger and more and more, or, or, or just the troubles of daily life by be, just becoming intoxicated chemically of some sort or another, pharmaceutical or illegal or alcohol, and we just sort of, we don't know what's coming, and life is a bummer, and even as believers, and, and we battle these things. That's what Jesus means when he calls it dissipation. Watch yourself. Rather than finding, as Jesus would want, our comfort only in Jesus, uh, we may try to make ourselves feel better or feel nothing at all, numbness, by drinking alcohol or using some other chemical drug or something. And perhaps even, uh, one writer suggests, and I use it, perhaps these temptations point to the broader temptation, which is to fill our lives with so many intoxicating pleasures that we don't have any time left for God. I, I think that's right. We're, we're amusing ourselves to death here in America because uh, uh, through a lot of hard work in previous generations, we're able to specialize and, and not craw, uh, claw out subsistence, uh, a, a basic living, or we have nothing to eat, and, and so we have to get, but we've, and therefore we have more leisure time, and we have more uh, uh, this and that to entertain ourselves with extraneous things, and, and, and so on, and, uh, and, and so we're drunken, uh, drunk on the extraneous pleasures of life. Uh, 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 we, we can be that way. It's a warning. Uh, be careful of this dissipation, whether it's a real uh, a chemical or whether it's just all the stuff that sort of fills us with this pleasure-seeking oriented, chasing the cat, chasing the tail, never finding deep satisfaction, and so on. And that, and, and the Lord saying, be careful, be warned of that. And that's our day. That's our, that's, uh, we all face that. We all face that temptation. Sometimes life's such a bummer, we just want to check out, right? Anyone feel that way? I'm the only one. Okay. <laughs> but there you go. Be, Jesus said, look, if you do that, you're not gonna you're gonna be in a stupor uh, with all, and you're not gonna be ready, watching like that strategic air command uh, there in Grissom Air Force Base. The second thing is distraction. Similar, it overlaps. But Jesus said, the cares of this life. These are the ordinary duties of, of daily life. Things like our jobs, our homes, our schoolwork, our families. Uh, they can weigh us down. All this stuff can weigh us down. 
the treadmill of life, right? Just the treadmill. It's coming fast, right? I, I got to keep up. If I, boy, if I skip, if I fall, I'm going to go down, hurt myself, right? And it just, boy, what a pace we live at. Oh, it's such a pace. I've, I've been able to see yeah, other cultures, and they don't live like we do. Even, in, even I'm surprised even in Germany, you know, I mean, they work hard. They do. But then, then they, they relax. They do. They, they, a dinner is not a drive-through thing. It's an all-evening thing. They eat later. I mean, our families in Germany, when we enjoyed dinner with them, we, we, we didn't go to the restaurant there to eat till 8.30, and we left at midnight. And the, you know what? They wouldn't even bring the check. I mean, at midnight, this, you know how it is like they're trying to push you out the door here? You're still eating your hamburger, haven't had any ice cream yet, and they're giving you the check here. <laughs> I'm hurrying, I'm hurrying, you know. Yeah, and, and, and Germany, you had, you had, you had to almost tackle the guy, or it was a guy, to get the, get the check. Like, we're not staying here overnight. You know, we sort you know, I, I, and, and in the Middle East, it's the same. It's not that we, we just pack it so full and so full, and it hinders our spiritual life, our walk with Jesus. Our, we're so full of the stuff. We can't, we're, not, we're not looking at it. We're not ready. We're, oh, and then we feel guilty. Oh, oh, I haven't even thought about it all day. You know, then we heat, you know. You go, I don't know. Maybe the Lord will give you a wisdom on how to maybe um, uh, cut down on some things, but good things. It's, the, it's usually the good things, the too many of them. And so Jesus warns us, don't get careless about the, the event of my coming, thinking somehow it will never come and makes really no difference. Well, lessons for our life. Number one, stay alert. Stay alert, or one day, Jesus, uh, one day Jesus will come for us. So stay alert. Live in a daily mood of watchfulness. The book, the blood, and the blessed hope, the blessed confidence that Jesus comes and fully expecting his return. Remember, each day as it passes brings us one day closer. You know, it's closer now than when I first began the sermon. Yay, you know, like he's almost done and it's closer to the Lord. Boy, things are looking up. Even lunch is coming. Maybe, right? There you go. Look up. Your redemption draws nigh. Always makes me think about that when my father, back in the 60s, he's a mechanical engineer during that time, and uh, the work was, uh, was down, and so he was with a job shop with the engineer, and he had to take a job down from Buffalo, we lived, and down to Cleveland. South of Cleveland, he was working on an engineering job. They were doing something with the Bessemer furnace system. I don't know, down on the river, he said. And the problem was uh, he had to be away all week long. And so, you know, you do what you have to do, right? So with a house full of kids, I think mom and dad had four or five at that point. You know, he was gone. He was gone Monday, came back Friday night. And uh, it went on for a while, and he was hoping things would pay, and eventually he did, and he... He came back. Well, I don't know if it went on six months, but I can remember. I must have been about seven years old, and uh, the routine was pretty, pretty much the same. So Friday, about eight o'clock, uh, he'd be coming down Bennett Street there, and my sister Jan and I would go sit on the curb, and we just say, "Like Dad's coming." We keep looking down towards Paint Out. Dad's coming. He's coming. Where is Dad? Hey, there he comes! You know, I, you know, and that's. I, he comes right back to me. It's the way we ought to be even greater with the coming of Jesus. And I know you all have illustrated and think of waiting for someone to come. And that's when Dad came. That was great. Number two, remember the words of Jesus abide forever. I mean, they're attacked. They're shredded. Brilliant people know better, right? Have you noticed that, those geniuses? There are a lot of geniuses down in D.C., I read lately. And that they'll fill universities and pulpits, and they'll make all kinds of pronouncements. Frankly, Jesus is not impressed. He abides. He preserves his word through the Spirit of God. And the church has stood upon them, the true church, ever since he said it. And yay and amen, that's what I say. I don't care if any, I'll believe it all the way. That's my Savior's words. Even your body is going to crumble with age. Disasters hit. But the word of our God endures forever. It was Spurgeon who said, since that's going to happen, just fill your heart and mind with the word. 
And so when you're laying there crumbling away and your teeth are rotting, your body doesn't work, at least you got the eternal word of God in your heart, which will abide forever. you got to love Spurgeon. Holy cow. Number three, know that the unique day of Jesus' return is already dated. It's on the calendar. It's on the Father's calendar. It's not like, oh, I wonder if next Thursday. Eh, maybe not. No, they're not too nice. No, they're not too many. Wait, maybe not. No, it's already set in stone. It was before the foundation of the world. Isn't that neat? It's sure. Don't you love sure things in a world that's filled with unsure things? It will, it will happen exactly according to the God's plan of the ages. Take heart. God is in control of history. It will end gloriously with Jesus reigning as king. Oh, my. I cannot wait. Oh, Lord. It's sure. Number four, be careful as a believer not to fill your life with so much stuff, so much distraction. I'm not talking bad stuff. Of course you shouldn't do that. But it's all the good stuff, right? All this, all the, that you hardly ever think or able to think about the king's return. Travel light. I hate to go back to my father again, but when I was going to get married, he said, I got, I got two words for you. Two words. Now, he meant a wholly different context. Travel light. You're going to move a lot. You're probably going to, and the boy was right on that. Those first years, holy macaroni. <laughs> oh, travel light. Well, in a whole different realm. Doesn't that make sense spiritually? Travel light. Travel light. And have time to serve him. Number five and last, if you're not ready, you're not ready if you've not trusted Jesus. You're not ready. You're not ready. The Boy Scouts, be prepared. You're not prepared. He could come today, or he could call you home. Today could be your last day. Put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The invitation is open. It's universal. Come. Jesus says, come. Have you settled that? How about your loved ones and friends? I had a chance to talk to a friend this week, Faith, and I had him in for a meal, and I shared with him the gospel of Jesus, urged him to to, uh, to confess Christ, and he told me, you know, that he had done that. I didn't know that. And I gave him some literature and sent him off with prayer and then tried to encourage him. You know, what about friends? And, and maybe God has allowed friends and neighbors and families and others. We're thinking a lot about that, and we're engaging that, thinking that God is in charge and strategically places us. He's given us to each other here. This is called the church family. Isn't that neat? Wow. Well, there's a heaven to gain. There's a hell to avoid. The king is coming. Jesus is coming again. Far greater than Douglas MacArthur's I shall return. Jesus said, I'm coming back. Be ready. Be ready. Let's stand and have a closing word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for the words of our Lord Jesus. Oh, Lord, we look for you. We cry out, Maranatha, even so come quickly, Lord Jesus. May we be found faithful serving you. Lord, I pray that you'd forgive us. Sometimes we get so encumbered with good things and okay things, but not the best things. Help us, Lord, to live more stripped down on these extraneous things. There are a lot of things we have to do to maintain our life and testimony. We know that. But, Lord, may it never dull us to the fact of your coming and our great heartfelt expectation, O oh Lord, come for us. We look forward to that. Thank you, Lord, for each one that's here. Use us this week. We pray to be a blessing to all that we should meet. May we be encouragers, those that know you and serve you. Until we meet again, we'll give you the thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless.